Welcome back again. And uh, today we have uh, Mr. White, uh, Robert White here. And his, our conversation was uh, very valuable. Um, we touched on a bunch of different stuff from child rearing to education, a whole bunch of stuff. So the conversation was going so great. I, you know, this keep happening, but we had to break it up um, with him as well. So we're going to do a two part. So this is the uh, introduction for the first uh, section and uh, we'll have the second one coming up as well. So I hope you guys enjoy. I really hope you guys get a lot of value from this because in all honesty, that's, all, that's the reason why I'm doing this. Um, so yeah, so, you know, enjoy guys. Welcome to the Sun Island. Welcome to Sun Island Energy Bridge. I'm super excited today to have with us Robert White. He is a principal and a business professional, and I'm very happy to have him here today on Sun Island. Um, so, Robert, we're just going to start at just some basics, kind of like where did you grow up and kind of just give us a some synopsis of your story. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I grew up um, in a city called Rowlett, Texas. Um, so it's a little outside of, um, it's far east Dallas. It's right next to a major, another major city called Garland. Um, I uh, was originally born um, in Port Arthur, Texas, and um, we moved to Rowlett or the Garland area because uh, my father became a state trooper. And um, he was stationed down there in, in the Dallas area. Um, and so from, I went to elementary school and uh, middle school and high school. And I graduated high school from Rowlett High School in 2006. Okay. Um, and um, I was actually very talented in sports. I played football and baseball um, at Rowlett High School. And I had the opportunity to get scouted. Um, from Texas Southern University. Oh, nice. Yeah, they actually came to um, quite a few of my games um, down in Rowlett, um, and they um, offered me a full-ride baseball scholarship to play at Texas Southern University. Full-ride? Yes, sir. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so um, from there, I, uh, you know, took my, my, my t not my talents to South Beach, but I took my talents to uh, Houston, Texas. It was quite a culture shock um, when I got there uh, because, uh I had never been um, to an HBCU uh, before, so Texas Southern University. Um, lit. It, it was lit. It really <laughs> was. Uh, I had never seen so many beautiful women um, and so much. It was a family atmosphere, and I just yes. loved it. So I always tell my family now, I said, the, the, one of the best decisions I ever made was going to Texas Southern Speaking University. Speaking about beautiful women, yeah. I graduated there, and that's where I met my wife. Yeah. On the Tiger Walk. Oh, okay. On the Tiger Walk. <laughs> so speaking about beautiful women, that's, yeah. that's where I met my wife. But continue. Yeah. So my <laughs> wife, uh, she actually went to our rival school, Prairie View. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So she um, she gives me a lot of a lot of smack about it, especially around homecoming time. Mm. Um, and actually, what's actually funny is that all of our you know our close group of friends, they either go to Prairie View or they go to Texas Southern. Yeah. And so we all kind of divided from there. Um, so yeah, so I um, I finished up um, from Texas Southern University in 2010, 
Um, I actually graduated um, in the education field. Um, I got my bachelor's in education. Um, and from there, in 2010, I immediately started working um, for a school called Energize for Excellence Academy. Okay. Um, and so I was teaching for about maybe like 10, 10 or 11 years. Um, and I was presented the opportunity to, um, uh, with a scholarship from, univer from the University of Houston. Uh, they were looking for a specific cohort of people who have uh, obviously a specific uh, set of talents, uh, specifically in the math and science areas. Um, and I applied and um, they offered me the, a scholarship to get my master's degree in STEM education. Um, and so with this, I, I, again, I was blessed. I didn't have to pay for any of my schooling for my master's degree. Um, and actually there, um, I am actually continuing my program, uh, even after I graduated, uh, for the next four years where I do a lot of mentoring, um, for new, new and incoming teachers. Um, and I hold like, um, professional developments for them and basically just expanding my knowledge onto them. That's, that's wonderful, mm. man. That's quite a stellar career so yeah. far, man. Yeah. Um, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I am 35. 35? Yeah, I'll be 36 this year um, on October the 3rd. <laughs> um, so that's that's a national holiday for me. <laughs> yeah, right? So um, I just turned 36. So we were both at yeah. TSU around the same yeah. time. So um, what instilled in you, uh, kind of go back uh, as a child, that education because you've clearly excelled mm -hmm. how where do you think you got that foundation to know it's that important to uh, take it to that level but my, both my parents they basically said you know no matter what else is going on you're going to get your education and you know so you said dad was a state trooper yeah my dad was, was he a disciplinarian was yeah, he so my dad was a state trooper but he was very active in school i met your dad yeah yeah, yeah. 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 oh buddy 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 he has a pretty neat sense of humor yeah, too yeah yeah and that's probably that's where i get my sense of humor from too as well um but my mom she was in education my grandmother was an educator uh but my dad was a he was a state trooper he's retired now he's, he works for text dot but he was a state trooper but while he was active as a state trooper one of the things he did was he taught the uh it's called a dare program it was a drug uh, resistance program for you know kids in school <coughs> excuse me no, good. and so uh, one of the things he did was he traveled to a lot of the schools, um, especially in my school frequently, and just uh, to preach about drug awareness and to keep kids away from drugs. It's amazing how, like, when you get exposed to certain things mm -hmm. when you're in school mm -hmm. or even in college, it just kind of have an imprint on your mind for eternity. Yeah. I actually, I came here on a scholarship from Jamaica for track, you know, long story Stayed in St. Charles, Missouri, went to New York for a little bit, but I eventually ended up in Oregon, mm -hmm. as, uh, and then I ended up in Houston. So I pretty much live everywhere in the U.S. almost. But I remember when I was in Oregon at a junior college, uh, Mount Hood Community College, mm -hmm. um, they brought a car that was in an accident that was wrapped around a tree, mm. and they were trying to educate us on not drinking and driving. Yeah. And every time I think about drinking and drive, I think about that car. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that. So he was he was doing similar stuff like that, where yeah, educating a, yeah, kids a, about what would happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was instilled. And so my parents, uh, like I said, they, it was three of us at the house: uh, me and my two sisters. And so 
Uh, it was instilled in us very frequently that education is 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 the way to go. If, if, wherever you want to go, education is going to get you there. And also, obviously, to stay drug free. And um, to be honest, I never even really knew about drugs or anything like that. It's just because you know, my I don't want to say my parents guarded me from that, but I I kind of was never really exposed to that um and even when i even when i you know when when i was around it or when i was when i was there what something like that it just kind of it all that images of my parents always came up and said hey watch yourself somebody's always watching you somebody's always watching you and the values that they instilled in me are still what i live by today yes and and that's a that's a beautiful thing how mm -hmm. how parents can guard you uh, mm -hmm. and protect you right because yes. very similar uh parallel i'm kind of drawing um, growing up in Jamaica, like marijuana is a thing. Mm -hmm. A lot yeah. of people do smoke, right? But my my mom was like, "You're going to not partake." Yeah. And growing up, I never did. Just be when everybody else was, I'm for the most part, right? I just never did. So having a great uh, example, mm -hmm. you know, is, is is key. So now that you you said you were pretty good at athletics. What were the sports that yeah, you played? Yeah, so um, I played basketball, baseball, and football. So my basketball career, I want to say career, ended when I was when I went to high school because um, the sports kind of overlapped. And so I really wanted to have my focus on baseball and football because that's what I felt like I was the most talented at. Um, and so I was a starting wide receiver on the football team, and I was also the starting left fielder, center fielder on my baseball team. So those are the positions where you got to be fast. Yeah, you look like yeah. you were fast. Yeah, I was. I was. I was pretty fast. Uh, so some of my friends <laughs> um, that I still, you know, talk to today, especially that. So some of the friends that I still have today, I I met while I was at Texas Southern. Nice. And um, you know, they always joke around I me. Mean, we always talk about who has bad feet, or it's a joke that we always that we always kind of go back and forth with, but. One of the things we always used to do was we always say, oh, you can't beat me, you can't beat me. So at, even at his wedding that we went to, it was um, in the Dominican Republic, we actually had a race outside of his <laughs> wedding just to still see who was who faster. Still who still got it. Uh -huh. yeah, and of course, you know, I, I still have it. Yeah. Um, so um, that's, that's one thing I take pride in um, is, you know, my athleticism. Um, so I was also blessed. I don't know how, but I can eat whatever I want to, and I just don't. Got excellent genes. I don't gain a thing, even in your thirties. In my thirties, I, I don't. Yeah, so I know I I, I tend to uh, work out probably three times a week. It's kind of slowed down now now that I have an eight month year old. So a lot of those things have I try to find time for it because I have an eight month year old. I have a, a nine year old uh, daughter that's in dance. I have another twelve year old daughter that's in dance. So that takes up a lot of my time I, you know what the the more we talk we're, we're drawing a lot of parallel man practically the same age went to the same school mm -hmm. have similar amount of kids yeah um and we are working very hard to kind of build a bit of future mm -hmm. you know for those kids so that's i mean i like that a lot as far as um just the the general interaction um in in you know and I you know going back to TSU and everything like that the structure that you created playing sport how did that propelled you into your profession as first as a, a teacher mm -hmm. and then into a uh, principal? Uh, so it really propelled me because it taught me discipline. Um, it taught me that you know no matter what's going on to keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward. So. 
you know, my first few years as a teacher were very challenging um, because I started off um, as a sixth grade math teacher. And then I taught third grade math and then fourth grade math and then fifth grade math and science. So the persistence that I learned from, you know, all the conditioning and all the, the practices and all the uh, repetitions and all the repetitiveness in, in sports, it really propelled me in my field. I really, because now I can, like I said, I get up and go to work every day like it's a brand new day. Like every, everything starts all over. Mm. And so um, I've been a principal now for the past, uh, four years, um, and what I've learned from it's, it's almost like a stepladder. What I learned from um, a, a sports guy to a teacher has helped me from a teacher to now becoming a principal. Um, and so, what I've learned from being a principal has also helped me with my other business that I've actually started. So it's almost like a stepping ladder. So everything that I've gone through has helped me and propelled me to the next level of my life. Nice. So mm -hmm. it, it's just been a, a stepping stone to guide you mm -hmm. from one step to the next mm -hmm. step. You, you ventured in other business as well. Yes. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I, um, when I graduated from uh, the University of Houston, I graduated with um, my, my STEM education. And so one of the things I learned there is I learned how to be an engineer. Um, and so from that, I started building stuff from scratch at the house. Um, and from there, I started expanding and started building stuff for family members. And then from there, um, it was actually brought on to me by my wife. She said, why don't you go into a business? Because a lot of the work that you do is really, really great. Mm. But in my mind, I was like, yeah, you know, you're my wife. You know, you're going to say everything that I do. It's fantastic, great, beautiful. They're sent to us by God, man. Yeah. I think the best thing we can do as men is just listen to our wife. Every yeah. time I've listened to my wife, I've made some excellent decision, yeah. man. Yeah, so... Another parallel. Yeah, Keep yeah, going. Yeah, so I started uh, doing work for, for clients, and I started posting a lot of things that I did on my on my Instagram page, and I was getting a lot of great feedback, and so it's just it just kept, kept expanding and kept expanding and kept expanding. And that's how I have uh, my business now. It's called Mr. White's Carpentry, where I basically, I, I can do anything from accent walls um, to building shelves to entertainment systems. I do everything from scratch. Um, and one of my major uh, projects that I just partook, partook in last summer was I um, remodeled a whole house. So basically, um, a client came to me and had a house that was basically vacant. And so I tore down all the walls, all the ceilings and replaced everything brand new. Wow. That, yeah. That's, that's pretty impressive. So, uh, you mostly do most of the work or you have to kind of bring in. No, I do all. I, so on the house, I had, I had some help with the house, but all, a lot of other pieces that I've done, it's just been me. Oh. Cause I'm, I'm very, uh, attentive to detail. Mm. And so until I can get to my, until where I can get to my business to where I really want it, I don't feel like I can let go of the reins just yet. Cause, <laughs> cause even though I, you know, I, I may pay somebody to do a job, I'm gonna go back behind them and be like, Oh, I can kind of touch up on this or I can kind of do this. When actuality, if I just do it myself, then I'm there, I can see it. Okay. I need to go back over this. I need to go back over this. And, um, another reason why I started doing work for other for other clientele is that you know i noticed that a lot of um a lot of you know professionals are over i want to say overcharging but the price that they're giving was quite high and um i feel like i can do the exact same job or even better or even better for half the cost and once my name started getting out there people started to realize oh man you got to contact this guy so a lot of my business a lot of my business works off referrals just from people and impressed with my work 
and that and type of mm-hmm. um, work that's very visual carpentry. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. um, they, they're very um, attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've followed some folks online that does that type of work, and it's very engaging. Yeah, just to kind of see their work mm-hmm. is like they take it from a blank slate yeah. to something uh, very very beautiful. So that that's pretty neat. Um, okay, so. You've came up in sports. Um, you've done absolutely great academically. Um, why do you decide that you want to go in business? Um, well, I decide, and and, and, I'm, and mm-hmm. the, the reason why I ask that question sometimes, you know, just the, just like a book that I read, they call it Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've ever read that book before. I have. Um, yes. Yeah, so, you know, some people who are great at one thing, they tend to just do that mm. thing, right? And, and and vice versa. But you've done that educational and, and you're doing excellent at it. Why decide to go into business? Well, I decided to go into business um, simply for the fact that, like I said, I was, at, it was actually started during COVID. So during COVID, um, a lot of the educators were at home. And so while I was at home, I was literally sitting there. You can't stay put. No, I couldn't. That's good. I was sitting there with my wife at the kitchen table, and we had just moved into a new house, and we had this big open space um, right in front of our um, our exit door to the backyard. And I was like, "Babe, I think I I think we can put something right there." She's like, "Really? What?" I was like, "I don't know." I was like, "I, was like, I think I want to put a bar right there." Oh yeah. And so I started getting quotes about things about how much a bar would cost and mm. things like that. And so. I, you know, through my research, it was a bar the size that I wanted was going to cost like six, seven thousand dollars And I was like, whoa. Really? That expensive? Yeah. I was like, I'm I'm not doing that. And so I basically, like literally the next day, <laughs> I went and took a sheet of paper and I drew out on a sheet of paper for what I wanted. And I went to the store and bought all the wood. Yeah. And I uh, got the countertop and the, and the fitting for it. And everything was done exactly how I wanted it. But mm. I was able to do it, like I said, for a half or a, a third or a fourth of the, of the cost. So you post a lot of this work on like your Instagram. Yes, so what's do. your Instagram, by the way? It's um, at Mr. White's Carpentry. So at uh, M-R-W-H-I-T. It's Mr. Dot White's Carpentry. Oh, Mr. Dot. White's Carpentry. Oh, oh White's with an S? Mm-hmm. Okay, Carpentry. Yeah, and so... Uh-huh. So with it, with that bar, I realized, you know, I told my wife, I said, wow, so these people are going to charge me this to yeah. do this. I said, I can be helping people, you know, who want all who want all the nice. It's underscore carpentry or just. Yes, it's underscore. I might have said it wrong. Let me see. Because yeah. I know my email is different as well. Yeah. I probably should know this. Let me see. No worries. So I, I have a Mr. Underscore Wides underscore yeah, carpentry. That's it right there. Yeah. Mr. Underscore. Oh, this is it? Yeah, that's it right Oh, there. wow. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it's Mr. Underscore White, White underscore, underscore Carpentry. Carpentry. Let me see here. Okay. Yeah, so, so you got, I'm, I'm putting it up here. Yeah, that's it right there. Some, you got some really nice, nice, nice work going. So which one of them was the one that you teared out the whole house? So the one where I tore down the whole house was, uh, you'll see it go back up a little bit. Back up? Right there. It's uh, Oh, like this one? Uh, Yes. Those oh, are, no. those are those are some those of the are updates. Some, oh, oh, just some of the updates. Yeah. So you, wow, and you started just in 
2020. Yeah. <laughs> you I know started. how to get stuff done, man. Yeah, I know how. So, like I said, it's all works off of referrals. So one person sees wow. how well that I do. So, and and this is a like this, this is a, this oh, is a custom fireplace that I did at oh, another client. Man, I got to hit the follow right now, dude. <laughs> yeah, that, that one turned out real nice. Oh yeah, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. So this oh, this is phenomenal, man. That yeah. uh. You know, you're able to to do all this really, really um, neat work. Uh, just so the pandemic hits and you're just like home and you're mm -hmm. like, man, I got to. I have this degree. You know, I was like, I'm learning how to do all this engineering well, that's stuff. That's special, man. Because, yeah. again, you know, I'm a I'm big like that book uh, by Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad mm -hmm. Poor Dad, just changed how I look at a lot of stuff. And incidentally, he was making a parallel between his his biological dad, that's an educator, mm -hmm. and his friend dad, that kind of became like adapted parent almost, to kind of educating him on business, right? And he was saying that, well, his educator dad was just, you know, it was more accolades and 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 stuff like that, mm -hmm. and the other guy was a little bit more gritty. <laughs> He's just trying to figure it out. So it's pretty neat. To meet an uh, educator just like yourself, who, um, which that poor dad, uh, an educator just like yourself, who uh, who essentially just have both brains. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's beautiful. But what made you that way, though? What what you think contribute for you to actually can think? Because you know some people are one. They're uh -huh. either creative yeah. or they're structural, right? Mm -hmm. You're that. That's a lot of creativity. Creativity. Yeah. And I would imagine, I don't know you, I don't, I've never been a principal, so I don't know, but I would imagine being a principal, you have to just be really structured. Yeah. So, so what make you think on both, on both mind frame or mindset, so to speak? You know, to be honest, I really have no idea. I just, I, like I said, it was just <laughs> during the pandemic, I, it's like you, you learn, it's like you, a new you is born. And so I, I, love wholeheartedly what I do, you know, helping the kids out, talking with parents, meeting with parents, enriching the lives of students. But I also really, really love beautifying homes, remodeling homes, uh, adding accent walls, add, doing this, doing that. And I like I like saving people money. Believe it or not, I, I really do. Yeah. A lot of people say that's cliche, but I, I really like saving because I know how much that I like money. <laughs> right. And so when I get a great deal, it's I feel like it's the best. I don't care if I say 50 cents. It's I feel a, like it's a great thing. A good deal so, is a good deal. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, a lot of people want the really, really nice things in the world. And I feel like I can apply that to them or, or, or make that affordable to them just by offering my services. So if they want like, you know, a beautiful staircase or if they want, you know, their TVs hung on the wall mm -hmm. with, with the cores, with the wires hidden, kind of like how your TV is now. Uh -huh. I can do that with half the price with a right, yeah, wow. without, without you breaking the bank, without you thinking, oh, I got to go take out a loan to do this true, or do that. True. Yeah. You, you did mention the pandemic um, a couple of times. And I really, as a parent, I really want to ask a professional like yourself, a principal, uh, what school do you, you're a principal of? Energized for STEM Academy Middle School. It's pretty cool. I really wanted to ask your opinion or just what you've noticed or, or learned pre-pandemic mm -hmm. for education, during and now post-pandemic. What, how has it affected us and what should I be doing as a parent just to make sure my child 
catches up? Well, pre-pandemic to post-pandemic, obviously, you, you, as a parent, you know, it's been a lot of change. And so one of the things that I've seen in education is uh, the students are not as attentive as they were pre-pandemic. Hmm. Attentive is in class, and they, it seems like the the want to and the care is just not there. Um, now, uh, when we came, the first year that we came back into the, when the students actually came back into the schools, obviously there was a, a huge educational gap uh, because students hadn't been in school. Correct. And so uh, whenever they arrived back to school, there was um, a lot of uh, things that the students had to relearn socially and emotionally. Um, they had to, you know, how to communicate with their peers, how to communicate with with teachers, with uh, with with administrators, because a lot of that, a lot of the disciplinary um, action items like that have gone way, way up. Um, and I really think that's attributed to, you know, the, the students being on their phones or all day or on electronics all day, because, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, they were still on their phones, but there was a lot more student interaction. And so what happened and what I believe is that the students got used to not communicating with anybody else except for the screen. The, the screen. And so when it's time for them to go back to a school setting or communicate with their parents or communicate with their friends, they're unable to do, I won't say they're unable to do so, it's just been a challenge because it's almost like they're having to relearn, relearn how to do that. Mm. Um, and so pre-pandemic, you know, it was, you know, you're always going to have dis disciplinary problems, but post-pandemic, it's been a huge upkick. Um, more, more fights in the education system. Really? Uh, yeah, a lot of students with you know who are post or post post now. Okay. Yeah, more fights, and a, a lot of the students still to this day, um, you know, masks aren't required in in school. But what I've noticed, especially in middle school, is that a lot of students will still wear their mask on their face just because they don't they, they've gotten used to it so much that they don't feel comfortable in their own skin to show wow. the rest of their face so they'll have their mask all the way up basically towards their eyes and even yeah because even when we when um like say for us we have school pictures and so in the school pictures they, they don't even want to take off their mask they don't because you know they just because of the bullying has gotten to a whole nother way like oh look at that child's face haha ha. look at them without their mask it's just it's how kids are but it's just gotten to another heightened level and so the students have gotten so used to wearing these masks and talking into screens and and on their phones all day not communicating with anybody that that's they're still kind of in that mode to where they don't communicate and they, they bring that some of that um, and they, and some of that comes to school. So when they yeah. get in trouble, they don't know how to communicate their feelings. They don't know how to communicate what they want. They don't know how to communicate to their friends. Yeah. And so it's like almost them, them having to relearn it. Yeah. And what what do you think schools are doing to help them relearn that? So in schools, we have uh, a lot of schools are have like um, social emotional circles where, we, you know, you you invite the students. It's like a lot of times they'll have it to where, you know, you have like one section where it's just boys, another section where it's just girls. And there's like a, a round circle, t round table circle talk mm. to where the students can express their feelings, express how they feel um, and practice communicating um, effectively. And without, you know, hurting somebody else's feelings or without, you know, stepping on somebody else's toes. But just, I guess, almost like they're practicing the, the how do I want to say it? Mm, like practicing how to, I, I guess, practicing without communicate, practice without 
hurting somebody's feelings and knowing how to talk to somebody and knowing what is offensive, knowing what is not offensive, knowing how to speak to an adult. Basic communication. Basic communication that we that we take for granted that we think, oh, you know, that's just something that everybody should know. But it, in actuality, you know, I see it every day. Emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. So our kids yeah, are social lacking. Emotional. A lot of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Social and emotional, and and, and that entail affects their education, mm. because if if a kid, if a student doesn't feel safe to communicate or safe in a classroom, it's going to affect you know just how they learn or how they demonstrate what they've learned. Because they're going to be afraid. Mm. Um, the, yeah, so that's a that's very um, important points that you that you bring up. That kids have to be in an environment where they feel that they're safe. They mm. feel like they they want to be there. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think um, they think that they can escape being? amongst human beings now because they were away from human beings for such a long time? Yeah, so a lot of the times, I, I really feel like they, they think they can escape because even when, like, say, for instance, we go outside, you know, you give them free time. <clears throat> Excuse me. No, you good. <clears throat> you give them free time in the classroom. Um, you know, you say, hey, you know, great job, great lesson, guys. I'm going to give you five minutes of free time. The first thing they'll do is they'll pick up the phone. <laughs> they won't say anything to anybody else in the classroom. The first thing they'll do is they'll pick up the phone. Uh, and like I said, I think that's attributed because they, they've they've lost the the art of com- communication has been lost, um, which can be very detrimental because that's a communication is a, a part of what humans do, whether it be verbal or nonverbal. We're, we're social creatures. Yeah. So if you're unwilling to communicate, it's hard for the other person to know how you're feeling or what you're wanting or or things like that. In my in my profession, um, I'm in sales. Mm-hmm. And I'm building a business. Um, structure is sometimes like a luxury, if I should put it in that term, that, yes, I have to structure my business. I have to structure what I'm doing on a daily basis, but I'm running the business and I'm also selling. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I just don't get home at a specific time. That's what I mean. Yeah. No matter how hard I try, it, I, I, you know? Um, and sometimes I feel a little bit of guilt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. feel a little bit of guilt, man, because I do know my kids, they need me. You know, I got mm-hmm. four of them and they're four girls. And I know that they need me to kind of help them, even with their mom and everything, to kind of help them out. So, like, as a parent that is not, like, on a fixed schedule or even on a fixed schedule but want to be more involved in their student mm-hmm education is there any advice you'd have to somebody like me or any parents um, want to be more involved in their kids education yeah just whenever uh whenever the school is open and invites you know the parents to any type of event go make it a point to go um and you know whatever activities that this that the school is having the more that you can i feel like the more that you can be involved as a parent um and you can show your face not only to, to your your child to say, hey, that I care about your education, but also to the teachers at the school to say, oh, this is Johnny's dad. He comes here whenever this school is open. Whenever we have this activity, Johnny's dad's gonna come here and he's gonna volunteer or whatever the case may be. Um, so one thing that I always try to do, especially for my daughter that's nine years old, that's nine years old, she's in fourth grade. Uh, whenever there is an opportunity for me to be at her school, I am there. 
Um, so whenever her school was having like a field day or a, a, a breakfast with the principal or lunch, or she asked me, hey, daddy, sometimes she just asked me, daddy, can you come eat lunch with me today? I was like, uh, yeah, I was, I, you know, I try to make it a point to do that because if she's if she's reaching out to me saying, hey, I want you to do this, there's, it's for a reason whether it be something that she knows or something that she doesn't know internally, but she, she's reaching out to me for a reason. So like I said, I don't, I don't, don't necessarily care what I have going on at work. I'll be like, Hey, I'll be right back. I'll be back in about 45 minutes. My daughter wants me to go eat lunch with her today, or I'll be back in a little bit because my daughter has open house or I need to go here because she has a dance competition. I, I will literally stop everything for my kids because I understand and I see the value of parents being in their in a value of a parent being in their child's life and a value of a parent the opposite way who's not in their child's life i see it every day and so i don't want my children to grow up in a setting to where they feel like they're having to do everything on their own or, or they're out there by themselves mm -hmm. so at any cost or whatever it takes like i said for my i have two girls that are in dance two of them and a comp not just dance but competition dance and you don't know about competition dance. That can be very, very expensive. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it can be. And so whatever they have going on at the school, uh, at, you know, after school or whatever it is they want to do, I'm going to make it a point to try to, to try to help them do whatever they want to do because I understand the importance of doing that because I, because myself, when I was a child, anything that I wanted to do, my parents were like, okay, let's do it. Daddy, I want to play baseball. Okay. Let's go sign you up. Let's get you some. Let's get you. Let's get you a meal. Let's get you a bat. Or daddy, I want to play football. Okay. My dad was the football coach, the baseball coach, the, the track coach. Anything that I wanted to do, my dad was there. My dad, like I said, he was a state trooper. So they worked long hours. True. Twelve hour shifts. Somehow, some way, <laughs> he's always there. My dad there. was always there. And so even with my mom, like our whole summer every year was revolved around what the kids wanted to do. And so I want my kids to have that same type of life if I can provide it for them that my parents provided for me. Because like I said, I see the emotional side of students who parents are involved and students who are parents are not involved. I've, I've, I've seen some kids, you know, where they in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, sometimes they go home and they are the caretaker. Wow. Yeah. They get up and they get their little brothers and sisters ready, take them to school. They go home, they're making dinner. At or four, grade four, five, six. I've seen it, yes, sir. And so the effect that that could have on a child emotionally, socially, it's tremendous. Yeah, you're putting grown people yeah, responsibility you, on, on, a, child. on a And but I was, it, mm -hmm. go ahead. Well, and I, it's not, it's, and it's just because the, the parents are, you know, working to try to provide for the, 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 the kids. And so when you're, like I said, I, I'm, I, my school was in a low, low, low income area. So like I said, I see, I see situations kind of like this often. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking, but like I said, whenever I can be there for the kids, I try to be, I really do. And not just my kids, but the kids that are at the school, any child that I can help, I'm definitely there.